Welcome to the Property Investors Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an upload. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Enjoy this week's show and don't forget to share it with all your friends. Hey, I'm Russell Leeds. Hey, I'm Ricky Mandel. And welcome to the Property Investors Podcast. On this week's show, we're going to be talking about the top tips that we've learned from the 50 plus books that we have read on investing. Now, I don't know about you, but well, I do know about you actually, but I I read a lot. Uh, I find it really interesting to read books on investing and learning about business. And it's just a brilliant way of, I find it really entertaining, really interesting. But also it's, you know, people pour a lifetime of knowledge into a book. And the fact that you can read that in, I don't know, 10 hours. I do like reading books. I do a bit of both. I read books and I also listen to books. Well, when I say read, I'm actually using that word very loosely because I very rarely actually read the books. I listen to them. Yeah. yeah. So, so I've got an Audible account and most of the books I do, I listen to it. And the reason is I do actually like reading. The only time I read is for going on holiday. Same. Like, yeah. I like to read when I'm relaxing, chilled, but I like to listen. I like to see my car as a university. You know, listen, get as much knowledge as I can while I'm driving. So it depends where I am, but I'd say I definitely listen more than I actually read. I 100% agree. When I'm driving, when I'm at the gym, if I'm going for a walk, whenever I'm on my own. When you're at the gym? Yeah. So you don't really listen to audiobooks often. <laughs> you, 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 you can laugh all you want, right? But you can laugh all you want. But the, what, what, what did I say when I turned the light on? He said, man, Ricks, you're, 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 you, you look good in the light. And- uh, I didn't say that. I said, wow, when you turn the light on, it really shows your ripples <laughs> in, your, in your top. I didn't mean in a good, muscly, ripply way. Oh. You, 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 when was the last time you went to the gym? Oh. Well, I'll say this. Yeah. <laughs> I've been on and off. Right. Mostly off. Mostly off, but back on it this week. And I know people say that a lot. You're back on it this week as in you've already been this week or you are planning to go this week? I'll say this. Back on it, <laughs> back on it next week. That's the thing. The thing with you though, Rick, is when you're talking about diet, it's always future Rick. You, you seem to think that future Rick is much better at dieting and going to the gym than present Rick. The problem is, is I, if I'm, I eat healthy for the day, yeah. and then if I just have, if I licked a bit of chocolate, that'll be it then. I just think, day's wasted now. I just go all out. I'm either all in or I'm all out with food. But you, you don't have to be all in or all out, you just have to eat balanced. Yeah, but I've seen you before, Russ. Come on. I've seen you, you know, pack of biscuits, you have one biscuit, and then it's, I've seen you before. It's just like, I've had one now, I may as well finish the rest. I don't say that at all. I, I know you don't say it, you do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, maybe, maybe. But, but look, it's the same with books. When was I started going to the gym was this morning for me. Really? Yeah. What time? I got up at seven, went to the gym, and then came down here. Oh. <laughs> but it's the same with books. If I start to read a book, I'm all in. I'll finish the book. Yeah. I, I rarely start a book and not finish it. See, I'm actually not like that. If I start a book and I don't like it within the first half an hour, I just delete it from my library and move on. You give it, I give it half, half an hour's chance? Give it half an hour. Half an hour, and if I don't like it... But how long does it take you to read the average book? 
Well, you're listening mostly for me on Audible. I'm listening mostly. So the average book, I don't know, it depends on the book, but a lot of them are about eight hours, ten hours. Some of them, yeah. I would say a long book. If I click on it, it's 18 hours. I'm like, ooh. That is so it's not book. like a film where you give the film half an hour before you turn it off, because half an hour is like halfway through the film then. I, I kind of find, though, with a book, you, you know, normally, if it's a good book, they'll, they'll give an intro to what the book's about, and you'll mm. get, you know, you get a good idea in the first half an hour. The other thing that I've done as well, have you heard of an app called Blinkist? No. So I've got an app on my phone called Blinkist, and what it does is it gives a summary, like like the ten minute version of a book, mm. uh, and you can just listen to the highlights. So sometimes I'll listen to books on Blinkist and go, "Oh, that sounds interesting." I'll listen to the whole book. There was one book that I started to listen to it, and I just thought, you know, this is the worst book in the world. It was called The Entrepreneur's Blueprint. Uh huh. Uh-huh, it's by funny. Russell Leeds. <laughs> Oh, I've listened to the first minute, I'll just turn it off. You listen to the first minute, I'll turn it off. That's really interesting because it's not actually on Audible. Is it not? No. I read the first minute. <laughs> <laughs> read the first minute, I'll turn it off. Oh, thank you for that, Rick. That's very, very kind of you. What, what would I do with friends like you? Who needs enemies? Who needs enemies? <laughs> uh, so, all right. So with that being said, we, we recommend books. Obviously, we both like reading books. Um, what are some of the best books that you've read on investing? Um... I think the main one, the one that I was put onto, it was actually by Samuel when I first met Samuel was Rich Dad Poor Dad. Yeah. Um, that was I think most people that are you know in entrepreneurship and investing have read that book. Um, I think Rich Dad Poor Dad is a brilliant book to get you thinking. Wow, I need to invest. There's no how to. It doesn't say you now need to go and do this. But it really opens your mindset to being, you know, to being an investor's mindset. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. What I like about Samuel's book, so like Buy Low Red High, etc., was they are how-to Yes. Books, right? So it's, this is what you do to invest. This is what you look for. Um, so I think, but I think Mr. Poor Dad was a great book. And I agree, it's one of the first books I read. The very first book I read on investing was uh, The Compound Effect, which is also... A brilliant book, yeah, um, and teaching how you get rich slowly over time. I like books that make it simple, so like Samuel's books or the way Samuel teaches. Samuel's a whole makes things simple, yeah. And I think making things simple when I read books because I've I've got that kind of brain where I can't. It takes me a while to process it if it's if it's made complicated or if it's a complex subject, which sometimes investing can be complex. Oh yeah, I like it to be explained simple. And I think if you look at Samuel's books, Samuel's books aren't actually really long, massive books. They're just short. So I read Barlow Rent High when I came to a crash course. Before I came, I read Barlow Rent High because I wanted to get to know Samuel more. Yeah. Then I read, you know, the, the financially free book. And he keeps it very simple. Do you prefer short books or long books? Because I often, do you often find with a book that they just say the same stuff over and over? It's like, yeah, okay, I get that point now. Like you, it's sort of half an hour of good content spread over Yeah, I, I definitely prefer short books because I, I, maybe it's a psychological thing, I just don't, if I see a thick book, in my mind, I'm thinking that's going to take ages to, to listen to or read. So yeah. I'm just not even going to bother starting it. Whereas if it's short, I'm thinking, right, I'm going away for a few days, I could, I could get through that. Yeah, if it's long, it's got to be really good. Yeah. Got to be like a goal, doesn't it? So, Rich Dad Poor Dad was a great book. Um, I mean, there's lots of great books. So, I've made a list actually of some of the some of the sort of top key takeaways that I know we both live by in our lives, but that we've got from these books. So the first one is education. 
So what do I mean by education? Well, a lot of people think in order to be rich, and I remember you saying this as well, like property investing, oh, it's for the wealthy, or it's for the, it's for the well-educated, it's for, for the elite. A lot of people believe that if you want to become an investor, if you want to invest, if you want to be wealthy, if you want to be rich, you need to either have money or be well-educated or you know upper class. And it's actually very, very untrue. There are loads of stories. I mean, if you look at myself, Samuel, you, we're all from, we're not from rich backgrounds. But I read a really interesting story in, 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 a, in a book about a guy called Ronald Reed. And Ronald Reed, this guy over in America, he was actually a caretaker. He had no formal qualifications, but he was an avid reader of investment books. And what he did was the little that he did have, which wasn't a lot because he's a caretaker, not a massive salary, he invested little by little over the years, over the years. And by the time he retired, he actually had a fortune of eight million pounds. No crazy earnings, no crazy business ventures, just by diligently investing little by little by little by little. And it's like a guy there, no formal education, you know, no, 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 nothing going for him, you would think, to become yeah. rich. Yeah. Bang, he made it big. So the first thing I would say is you don't need to be rich, you don't need money, you don't need a formal education to get rich. You got I agree. Any, anything to add to that other than I agree? It's great having you on the show, Rick. I agree. You're no, great. I think, no, but like, I, what you've just said is one of the, is one of the, <laughs> no, I've changed my mind. I agree. No, agree. What you just said is one of the reasons why I got involved with property because when you see other people that are in a similar situation to you, they're similar to you, it makes your beliefs go up when you see them doing well. So like when I got involved with property with Samuel, well, I was it watching... It was Winners on a Wednesday. Winners yeah. on a Wednesday. Yeah. And I saw people that were like... I, I, I was thinking in my mind. And also Samuel's story. I thought, you know, listen, I love Samuel to bits, but I'm sat there thinking, hold on a minute, if he can do it... <laughs> What a dick. <laughs> if he can do it, I, I can. Really? Is that what you thought? Does Samuel listen to this podcast? Uh, probably not. Good. If he can do it, <laughs> then, you know, and all these people on when it's on a Wednesday, if they can do it, then I can do it as well. And your belief levels go up. And you're right. You know, you look at all the different successful entrepreneurs in the world, like Elon Musk, you know, Jeff Bates. These people aren't geniuses. They just followed processes that work and educated themselves. I would say Elon Musk is a genius. Elon Musk is a genius. Bad example. Jeff Bezos is your example. Another genius. <laughs> Russell Leeds. Genius. Actually, you got yeah, you did <laughs> you did an IQ test and what did it come out as? Oh, you always I don't yeah, I find it embarrassing the way Why? you introduced me on stage. Should I check, what, what's wrong with this? It's so embarrassing. It's oh. so every, t- every time. you've just told me this now after four years of introducing you on stage. <laughs> Why yeah. is it embarrassing? You're a genius. Just so, it just makes me look so pretentious. It's like, oh yeah, when I first met him, I thought he was a genius. He took a test. Hold on, I, all I say is, when I first met Russell, I thought yeah. he was a genius, and he took an IQ test, and it turns out he actually is a genius. What do you want me to say, ladies and gentlemen? Russell Leeds, he's really stupid and thick. Give him a hand. No, you're telling the truth. You're a genius. You should be proud. Lift your head up. Good. Better. Don't let that... No, lift it up. <laughs> um, I also think one of the biggest takeaways for me with books is, um, and investing in what other people do, is to always look at different cases. So like the worst case, likely case, case and best case scenarios. Yeah, well, I was going to say, was my, another interesting one is risk. Risk, like you, like you say, yeah. risk-taking. Because a lot of people um, that invest 
it's, there's, there's an element of risk, isn't there? Well, entrepreneurship is risk-taking as well. Yeah, it is. And I think a lot of people are, are scared of risk. So what you're talking about, best case, worst case, likely case, explain what you mean by that. So what I mean by that is, is, is calculated risk and looking at, okay, if I put this time and or money into this venture or this deal, what's going to be the best case, what's going to be the worst case, and what's going to be the likely case? So we do it with property deals. So when we have a property deal on the table, we'll look at it, we'll do the due diligence, do the research, and we'll go, okay, right. For example, service accommodation, the best case is that with this service accommodation unit, we put in a couple thousand pounds, and we make back three and a half, four grand profit a month right. for the next, or however long the term is. And we get all of our money back plus more um, in the year, and it all goes smoothly. That would be the best case. The worst case would be, we put in a couple thousand pounds and the deal doesn't quite work out after a few months, but we have a break clause in the contract, a three-month break clause. We break the contract at three months and we lose six grand. That would be the worst case. Likely case is we'll put a couple of grand in, it will go well, we'll have it for three or four years and we'll make maybe you know a thousand pounds profit a month. That's a likely case. And then what we do is we work off, if we can live, with the worst case. So if the worst case is, all right, we lose six grand, we exercise a break clause, doesn't quite work. If we can live with that, then we'll do, we'll, we'll do it if it makes sense. But if we can't live with the worst case, like the worst case is we're going to lose tens and tens of thousands of pounds from a rent-to-rent -rent deal, that's not going to be our asset, then we wouldn't do it. So, but every deal is different. You know, we would, and you yourself as well, you do a lot of developments. If you're going to put, you, you'd risk losing tens of thousands of pounds to make millions. Mm. But you wouldn't risk that with a rent-to-rent. -rent no. you know, so it depends on the deal. But we say if we can live with the worst case then, and it makes sense, then we'll do it. I think, I think you're right. I think most rich people have got quite a good appetite for risk. Quite often when I'm sort of having a, a meeting, we're doing our developments, and we're speaking to our lawyers and our advisors, and I'm thinking it's really funny because the people that we're dealing with are really smart people. They understand development. They're smarter than myself, and we're meeting myself and Samuel. I'm thinking these guys are probably smarter than us, but we're way richer than them because they wouldn't take the risks that we take. They wouldn't have the balls to do this deal themselves. Yeah, they talk the talk. Most professionals, solicitors, financial advisors, etc., that are working in a job, they've got everything it takes to be really rich, but they're they're settling for a salary because it's safe. And I think most rich people have got an appetite for risk. And, and you're right, they use that, best case, worst case, likely case. It sounds really simple, but actually to do is quite hard because people are scared. People are more scared. They did an experiment where you either, you could like, let's say you could win a million pound versus losing a million pounds. People are much more worried about losing the million than they are excited about getting the million. They're much more worried about losing rather than they are about winning. Whereas I think rich people are much more excited about winning than they are about losing. Here's a question for you. Do you think most people are more... We say I'm not smart. When right. I say risk-averse, that means risk-taking, doesn't it? Risk-averse means you're averse to taking risks. Not wanting you to avoid take risks. risks. Yeah. All right. So, <laughs> you have to be smart, you know, to do well. Right. Um, but do you think... That was a bit of a risk there, saying that, when you didn't have a clue what you were talking it about. It was, wasn't it? Was. I'm a risk taker. You are. I am... What's the opposite of averse? Uh, no. Oh, 
Genius, I said a minute ago. <laughs> not, not when it comes to uh, English. Clearly. So, question is this. Do you think most people... Risk hungry. Hungry for risk. Do you think most people are hungry for risk with if they're going to invest money that they've earned from a job and a salary or with profits they make from investing? I think most people aren't hungry for risk. I think most people are risk averse most of the time. Yeah, but if let's say you, right? Let's say you've you've worked a job for twenty years and you've saved up a hundred grand. And then you've also got an investment business that you do and you've got hundred grand profit from that business. You've got hundred grand from investments, which have been passive, you've got hundred grand from active income. Do you think most people would be more likely to take more risk with the money that they made from the profits from the investment? Yes. Or from their salary? Their I think job? they'd be more likely to risk the money from their investment. And that's because their job has been active income. Because they've earned it and they feel like, oh, it took me so much effort to earn that. Like, I think people are more risky with an inheritance, for example. I don't know. I'm just saying what I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. So, yeah. do you, what, so if you had to give advice to someone, well, if, yeah, if you had to advise someone. Well, I would say, that, first of all, with your risk taking, be a risk taker. But don't be an idiot. Don't be a, a, like a really. Don't be a, too risky. Yeah. Be you know do the best case, worst case, likely case. Have a look at it. But err on the side of taking the risk. Yeah. Err on err on being a risk taker, but don't be reckless. Do you think people should build themselves up? Like you know, so it's like all right, when you're first making your first investment, do it with very low risk. Well, what I would say is it's all and again, it kind of brings me on to the next point, which is about rich people manage their money. Yeah. So rich people buy assets, right? So if you are saving, let's say, for example, with me, I put um, 10% of everything I earn goes into a, my financial freedom account, which is literally straight in, and that is going to get reinvested come what may. Also, any money that I earn from my financial freedom account goes back into it. So it's 10% of my active income, and 100% of my passive income goes in and gets reinvested. So in my head, that money is kind of already gone. Yeah, I can't spend on anything else anyway. So that's gone into my investment account. So then it's just a case of which investment. So so my, my question is, what should I invest in rather than should I invest? Makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense because psychologically, you're like, the money's already gone. The money's gone. I've so, already invested it. It's in that account. I can't touch it for anything else. It's getting invested. I think rich people tend to buy, well, they don't tend to, they do buy assets. Whereas... Poorer people or middle class people or normal people tend to spend all the money that they earn. It's funny, isn't it? Because even when you get like a even when you get a pay rise, you still find a way of spending all the money. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. It's like, I've got a pay rise, but I don't ha- I'm no richer. How yeah. many times have you heard that? Yeah. I've got a pay rise, but I'm no it's richer. It's interesting that, Joe. I was watching um, uh, one of your mentors actually, Grant Cardone. You've you've sat down with him a few times. And I was watching one of his videos the other day, and he made an interesting point. Because I, I struggled to get my head around this when what you just said when I first started, which was like, he always says, don't buy flashy cars, don't buy materialistic things, stuff like that. Don't ever do it. It's just stupid. And when I heard that, I was thinking, well, what do you do then? You know, just never have a nice car. Never have anything materialistic. But what he says is invest the money you've got and then the income you get from them investments. Then can you can pay buy that. Yeah. 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 I think that's good advice. Yeah. Don't, don't buy flashy, it, you know, look at like Warren, I can't remember exactly what he drives and where he lives, but Warren Buffett lives in the same house that he's owned for like 50 years yeah. or something. It's just a normal house, despite being one of the richest men in the it's world. It's almost like buy, buy assets to pay for the liabilities. Yeah. But here's the thing though, right? While I do agree with that to a point, I don't totally stick to that because what I do is, like when we talked about this on, on another show, 
So while I've got the money that goes into my financial freedom, I've also got money that goes into play money that I can just blow yeah. or saving to spend it on stuff like cars, right? So the more I earn, because for me, the purpose of having money, see this guy, Ronald Reed, who I talked about earlier, he managed to save up 8 million. And you might look at him and go, wow, well done, Ronald Reed, right? Amazing. And it is, it is amazing. However, he died with that 8 million in his bank account, living in the same, no one knew, everyone was shocked. Oh my God, she's worth 8 million. Because he lived in a crappy house, drove a crappy car, lived a crappy life. What's the point? You're almost like, you know what, you're going to die one day. Let's just have fun. I think but there's both. a balance. There's both. Yeah, like if you are literally just saving everything for tomorrow, well, you want to live life now, right? I think. So what I think is, is have, like you say, have a balance. Same with the eating. We talked about the eating earlier on. You haven't got to be all or nothing. I know you said you had to. But I disagree with you. I'm working on it. You, you don't have to be all or nothing. You, you couldn't just be controlled. And I think the same with your spending and your money. You're just controlled, right? That percentage I'm saving, that percentage I'm going to spend. What's the point in having loads of money if you can't drive the car that you want? Can't eat, live in the house that you want? Can't eat, eat the restaurants that you want? Slightly, can't go on the holidays that you want? slightly different. It's the same, When bro. you go to a restaurant, right? You're just, you're emotionally... We've you're, been to many restaurants together and had lunch. And when they bring out like a nice meat feast, they always bring out bread. Right. We've never sat there and thought, do you know what? We're going to be balanced. We're not going to have the bread. We've never done that. But that's not necessarily being balanced. Being balanced, you would say, oh, we'll have the bread for this one meal. <laughs> All right, I'm working on it. I'm just not going to have it every single time. I'm going to what? okay, go this but meal. But you have it every single time. Yeah, but that's when I'm going out for a meal. But then, but then the rest of the time, I used to think this, the same as you. Because like, we, like, we'd go out with friends, and I'd have like, a friend who was in really good shape. Yeah. And we'd go out on a night out, and I'd think, oh my gosh, that friend that's in really good shape ate pizza. Yeah. And I ate pizza, and I'm much fatter than that friend. That's yeah. not fair. But then what I realised is, that friend ate pizza when we all go out together, and eats well the rest what of the time. What do you do when you go on holiday? Uh, what do I do? Right. Look, listen, I'm not like the model professional here. No, but you've lost a lot of weight. I have lost a lot of weight, but I wouldn't use me as a benchmark yet. But what do I do at the moment no, when not, I go on yeah, holiday? Well, we wouldn't use you as a benchmark. I'll just ask him, what do you do on holiday? Uh, <laughs> I well, one thing I do is I've I've stopped. I used to like go like all inclusive or get breakfast included. Yeah. I've stopped that. So if I go on holiday now, really? Oh yeah. What is the point of going on holiday if you if you? It's just no all inclusive, no breakfast included. What is the point? <laughs> Does everything for you revolve around food? Absolutely. <laughs> when I'm on holiday, yes. Right. So I mean, for me, I go on holiday for other things than the food. I tell you what, it's a couple of reasons actually. I I stopped all inclusive before. Not over health. The reason I don't do all inclusive is because don't you find me do all inclusive? Number one, it's nearly always a buffet. Yeah. Right. So it's crap food. It is crap food. And one of the things that I enjoy about eating out is going and eating at different places. You you go all inclusive. You're now tied to the hotel because you've got breakfast, lunch, and dinner all at the same place. Yeah, but when I when I go on holiday, I don't tend to leave the hotel. We're very different people, bro. We are, aren't we? Yeah. For me, I want to go and explore the area. I want to go and eat out bread. I want to go and eat by the sea. I want to go around. I want to try different foods. I don't want the same crap buffet, breakfast, lunch, dinner, and I'm committed to it. I paid for it for a week. When would you ever do that? Would you ever go to a restaurant and go, right, I'll order this. Before I try it, though, can I pay to have every meal for the rest of the week at this restaurant? Well, no, because I go to a hotel in Dubai that they've got multiple restaurants there. Yeah, but you go to the same hotel every holiday. 
We're, like I say, we're very different people. I wouldn't want to do that. I'd want to go and do different countries. Well, I do do different countries as well. well so then you can't use the argument about the hotel no, but I'd say most hotels that I stay in have multiple restaurants. Fine, yeah, but there are multiple crap restaurants, multiple buffet restaurants. You've never been there. It's a buffet restaurant, isn't it? No. Yes, it is. <laughs> no, 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 no. One of the restaurants, <laughs> one of the restaurants have a menu and you get a set amount towards the a la carte menu, actually. Oh. And it's like a Michelin star. Okay, fair, fair, fine. I want an argument. Well, not, no, I still think what I think. You haven't won the argument. But so books. Books, yeah, books. <laughs> so best case, worst case, likely case. Right, the best case is... You want to be a risk taker, you need listen, to manage your money. The best case yeah. is you go all-inclusive and you have the time in life and you eat lots of food, you eat out, you do what you want. Worst case is you pay for all-inclusive and you don't use half of it and you lose a bit of money. <coughs> so why don't you just do it? Ah, that was why, right? Because when I go on holiday, you asked me what I did. When I go on holiday, I don't eat breakfast first. Right. I always have a coffee for breakfast. Okay. Because I know I'm going to eat bad meals, so I'd rather have less meals. It's right. just like punishment, though, isn't it? It's not punishment. I, I very rarely eat breakfast at home, so why would I want to do it when I'm away? Because when you're on holiday, it's just part of it's, it's like the experience, isn't it? You get, you get up, get, reserve the sun lounger. I don't do that. You do that. Do you reserve sun loungers? No. <laughs> you do. I don't understand. <laughs> I can I I imagine you do. You get up and you're like, right, Anna, come on. Go get that. See, that's on lounger. You look at it down from the back. Look, they're going to get there first. But you run down, put your towel on, reserve it. Go and get some breco. I don't. <laughs> I don't even say that. I, I like to go out and explore. Anyway, moving. This is not the holidays podcast. This is all the food podcast. True. Right. So you manage your money. You, you take risks, but you, you invest from in your investment pot. And then, but I think you should spend money as well, right? Rather than just trying to save it all. Next point, big point, uh, the compound effects, which I mentioned in the book earlier on, the snowball effects, whatever you want to call it, right? <laughs> this guy, Ronald Reed, he wasn't earning much money. It was lots of little investments that compounded over time. It's like momentum. You're building momentum. So big thing is consistency. Same with anything. So, I'm not going to go back to diet, but same, but, but same with food, right? It's consistency over time. I like this. <laughs> Everything's food on this show. Uh, but it's consistency. So investing on a regular basis. Do that have to be massive actions? Just lots of small actions. Consistency the same. It gives you massive momentum, and that's what makes you successful. It's not one big massive thing. It's doing the right thing over and over and over and over again and being committed to the habits. Great book on habits, Atomic Habits. Have you read that? I haven't read that. It's a great book on habits. I'd recommend that if you want to learn about habits. So that's the snowball effect or the compound effect. And then the final thing, and this is what a lot of rich people do, top tip for you, is they use leverage. Now, I didn't really understand what leverage was when I got... When I, when I got started in, in, uh, in investing, it was sort of like, I'd heard it sort of said leverage, but I didn't really know how to use it or what it was. But leverage is massive. You, you can use leverage every time you use a mortgage to buy a property because you're using the mortgage as leverage. Every time you do a joint venture, you're using leverage. Every time you have a loan agreement with someone, you're using leverage. Every time you use a deal sourcer, you're using leverage. And rich people are brilliant at finding other people that can bring value to them. Yeah. Have you got any tips on how to how to use leverage or how to find people? Le- oh, networking is a great one. Yeah, networking. Because you can be leveraged for often. Leverage is win-win. Well, so I think solving problems is a good tip. You know, if you're looking to leverage off someone else, whether they, think about a joint venture, you either bring one of two things: you bring money, or you bring the time and work ethic and skill and skill and knowledge. So. You can network and solve 
be a problem solver. Yeah, so if you've got knowledge and time, you can leverage off someone else's money. And if you've got, you've got money, money, you leverage off their time. Exactly. I also think leverage with leverage, when we talk about investing side of things, when you buy a house with a mortgage, <coughs> when it goes up in value, you're benefiting massively from that uplift by using the debt. Because your, your debt stays the same, doesn't it? Yeah. So if you get a 75% loan to value on a house, and it doubles in value, which on average they do over uh, every 10 years, the debt isn't... <laughs> The, the debt isn't the, the yeah, same. The debt's not doubling. The debt's staying the same. Or shrunk if you've got repayment mortgage. Yeah. Which is, and I think we've done, did we do an episode on, you know, buying it with cash first mortgage? I think we spoke about it there. You know, using debt to advantage with appreciation because the debt just stays the same. Yeah. But even strategies like using service accommodation as a leverage to get more money for you rather than doing normal buy to let. There's yeah. loads of ways that you can use leverage. And scaling a business. When you put staff in place, you're leveraging off their you know, skills and, and time to be able to work on a business rather than in the business. Yeah. And while I think investing is very important and managing your money is very important, all these things, they did a, uh, a survey of all rich people around the world. And do you know what the number one thing was that they all had in common? Go on. What do you reckon? They all... I don't know. Go on, tell me. Which, what do you guys reckon? Number one, number one thing that rich people from around the world have all got in common? Invest. Invest. It's a good one. It's true. A lot of them do, but it's actually not investing. They use leverage and good debt. Another good thing that a lot do, but it's not the number one thing. Diversify. Diversify. These are all good things, but not the number one. Education, another good one that a lot of them do, but not the number one. The number one thing, and it's actually really obvious when you think they about it, in but we don't talk about it. It's not even investing in property, although a lot do. The number one thing that it is, is they're all high earners. They all earn a lot of money, fast pound. And that's why I love things like deal selling. Yeah. Samuel became a millionaire, not from his clever investing, although he was investing, but it was from his high income, 30 grand a month from deal selling. And then when you use that money, now you can you can, uh, you can can become rich without that. Ronald Reed did. He became rich on a, on a caretaker, so it is possible. But the number one thing they've got in common is they're all high earners. And in property, things like rent to rent, things like deal selling, it's so easy to be a really high earner, a much higher earner than 99.9% .9 literally of the population when we looked at UK salaries. What was the top 1%? Something like 120 grand or something to be the top 1%. It's not, it's not a lot. In, if you're a good deal seller or good at rent to rents, you can literally put yourself in the top 0.1% of, uh, of the earners in the UK. That's the number one thing. And then when you add the other stuff, when you're a good earner and you focus on the fast pound, but then you invest it well, you invest in your education, you use the compound effect to your advantage, you a risk taker, but a best case, worst case, likely worst case risk taker, that's where you're going to get really rich. It's like having a boat with two oars. Fast pound, slow pound. If you had a boat with one oar, though, what would you, you just go around in circles? Exactly. That's the point. Yeah. If you just have slow pound, you just go around in circles, saving up, saving up, saving up, saving up, then investing, then saving up, saving up, saving up, saving up, then investing. Do you need both? You do. You do need both. So that's my probably my biggest tip. Nice. Uh, I agree. 
No, well, thank you for being on the show. No, thank you for having me. <laughs> Guys, thanks ever so much for watching. I'm Russell Leeds. I'm Ricky Mandel. See you next week. 